When others say, I can't, God says, I will. The year was 2019. It was April. My wife, Dominique, and I were about a month into marriage. And uh, for the first month of marriage, a lot of y'all can relate, uh, we were penny-pinching poor newlyweds, so we did not have a bed frame. We were sleeping on the mattress on the floor. And it was about a month into marriage when we were like, okay, we need to start doing some adulting. We need to get this bed frame. And we looked online, did our due diligence, did some research, and we found out bed frames are expensive. I thought they just showed up like in, like in the house whenever you moved in. But there was like hundreds of dollars. And then there was like bed frames worth thousands of dollars. Like two, three thousand dollar bed frames for what? Like it's just wood. You just sleep on it. And there was like these master class craftsmen that would like come and install your bed frame and like do it all for you and like oil the wood while it's there. Like why? So we went to where all the good, reliable furniture is purchased. Walmart. Thank you. Amen. And uh, we found a bed frame. This like this, we were like, this is going to be the best idea ever. We're going to get a bed frame and save some money. It's going to be great. So we didn't buy a $3,000 bed frame. We bought an $80 bed frame. And it had uh, three slats, three one-by-threes. It was tiny. And uh, I, I had never seen a bed frame put together. So I was like, this is going to be a good quality bed frame. It's definitely going to hold us up. And uh, we got the bed frame, put it together. I put it together in like 10 minutes. Dom's like making food in the other room. And in my mind, and at the time, this was a good idea, okay? But... What I said in my mind was like, I need to make sure there's like a good quality product that it'll stand firm. Uh, so what I said was I'm going to be like John Cena and I'm going to jump on this thing and make sure it can hold us up. So that's just what I did. I backed up about 20 feet into the restroom in our apartment and I looked at that bed frame and I went. And can I tell y'all. That thing caved in like a bounce house that just got the plug pulled. I had my life flash in front of my eyes. And from the millisecond between the time when I hit the mattress and then hit the floor, uh, I realized, man, that bed frame was not trustworthy. I should have gone with something better. That's like a recreation because obviously that's not it. Again, ours only had three slats. Um, but it looked pretty similar to that. But... I, a holy righteous anger built up in me that very day to be like, I am never going to be relying on furniture that I could buy that I could also just make with my own two hands ever again. So from that day on, I was like, this is going to be a manly moment for me. I'm going to start making my own furniture out of wood. And guess what? I'm still doing it to this day. And the very first thing I ever made was a, a coffee table. And it was, it was pretty good. It was, it's still holding up. And that was one of the first things I ever did. Uh, one of the next things I did was I leveled up and I made us our, our current dining room table. And uh, it's okay if you ooh and ah. <coughs> I don't want to brag on my woodworking skills. But I will anyway. So here's the wood. Uh, there you go. I made an, a workbench because I was like, I need to like make something that I can make other things with, which is like kind of meta if you think about it. Um, but I need something to like increase my productivity. And then finally, I said, 
I will never rely on another cheap bed to buy again. I'm going to make my beds from now on. And you can see me there. I built this strong bed. And hey, guess what? I put 10 slats on that sucker. And they're solid two by fours. And they've been holding up to this very day. And now the next project I'm working on is a bed that's not only going to hold us up, but is going to have all the bells and whistles. It's going to have like built-in drawers. It's going to have built-in chargers. It's going to have um, floating shelves next to it. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, thank you. And the reason being is because the lesson I learned, I started to value the product that was quality, good, made, made of taken some time into it, but I can rely on it, as opposed to the cheap product that would not stand the test of time. When others say, I can't, God says, I will. See, we didn't go for the $3,000 bed frame. We went for the $80 bed frame. And it failed. 1045, I wonder if we do this exact same thing with our relationship with God. We have the opportunity and the choice to spend quality time with Jesus and to build a firm relationship with him. But so many of us don't want to put the time to do that. We want to go out on a Sunday morning really quickly and just buy the cheap relationship with him that won't last over time. If I can just tell you the difference, the difference between a quality product that will hold up versus a cheap product that will not do its purpose, all depends on the one who makes it. God does not make cheap promises. And when it comes to promises, it's not so much of what was said, it's more of, okay, but Who's the one saying it to me? And our God will not make cheap promises that he can't or won't keep. We see in his word over and over and over again. So my question to you is, have you been resting in the promises of God? Or have you been resting in the cheap promises the world gives you? Because trust me, the world will offer you all kinds of different promises. The world will promise you peace of mind and, and take these things to help calm yourself. The world will promise you, you need a good job. You need financial stability. So come work for this area. The world will tell you, you need to be healthy. So take these kinds of medications to make yourself healthy. The world will promise you fulfillment, success, the world will promise you pleasure. All these things that we were born innately to yearn for, to reach out for, to find. But usually when we, when we accept those promises, those things that the world tries to offer us, it's not until it's too late that we realize we didn't get the quality product. We got the cheap knockoff version of the product that will not stand the test of time when we depend on them most. What are the promises you've been resting in? This week alone, whose promises have you been resting in? In the world's promises? In people? Or have you been standing firm on the promises of God? 
Today we're continuing our series, Promises of God. And we're going to look at a piece of scripture today at a group of people who needed reminding what true faith in the promise of God really looks like. Those people who have lost that childlike dependency on God and try to fight for their own promises they make to themselves. We're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's called an epistle. It's an ancient letter written by a real guy who actually existed 2,000 years ago named Paul. Paul went on all kinds of missionary journeys to different cities and areas, and one of them was Corinth, Corinthians. And he wrote them 1 Corinthians to encourage them, and he was helping them start churches there and, and discipling people there, and they had this great relationship. And when he went to visit Corinth his first time, he said, I'm going to come back to you again soon. I'm going to go off, go on more missionary journeys, I'm going to go make more disciples, and then I'll come back to you guys again because I love you all. But somewhere along the way, Paul actually got held up. He got detained. So he couldn't come back when he said he wanted to. And what started happening was the people in Corinth started to doubt Paul. They started to see he's not coming back. Maybe Paul's unreliable. Maybe he's untrustworthy. And so Paul, not, a, not being able to go to Corinth a second time, wrote another letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that's the context of it. And in verse 17, Paul's writing about his plans he's been making. And he says, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or the things I plan? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. So what does Paul mean? Yes, yes, no, no, yes and no. So Paul is essentially trying to show them, I'm not the kind of guy who is going to say yes when I really mean no. All these people were rising up and say, hey, Paul, whenever he says yes, he means no. Whenever he says no, he means yes. He's flipping about what he does or what he talks about. But Paul's saying, look, I'm not, that's not what I'm doing here. And the church in Corinth started to lose faith in the promise of Paul, and by extension, they began to lose faith in the promises of God. Things didn't go according to their plan, how they wanted it, and they started to lose faith. How many times in our world, in our culture, in your life, have things not gone according to the way you want them to unfaithful character to our holy and precious God? How many times do we attribute him to be unfaithful? But Paul's trying to say, no, you guys are approach, approaching this the wrong way. God is not this kind of person to be flippant. I'm not going to say, yeah, I'm going to go over here. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to go over here. No, no, actually, no, I can't. And Paul goes on in the next verse, in verse 19, he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Jesus is not someone who's going to flippantly change on you in the middle of the journey. He's not someone who's going to flippantly just change his mind about whether or not he sees you as a son or daughter. So often, 
We've been conditioned in our world to expect people or things to fail, to abandon us. And I believe the enemy is trying to condition us to ask one question that's full of unbelief and unfaithfulness. It's just two words, but they're so destructive. I believe that the question the enemy is trying to get us to ask today is what if? What if this person doesn't come through? What if they fail me? What if God isn't as good as everyone else is telling me? What if, what if, what if? And the enemy would love for us to live in a constant state of what if? Because if he can't get us to denounce God, he's going to try to get us to doubt God. So if I can just tell you, let me just say, there's a difference between having a few doubts or questions or trying to improve your faith versus being doubtful. Having doubts is not a bad thing. Having questions is not a bad thing. God wants you to wrestle with your questions and to grow in your faith so you have a firm foundation on him. But a doubtful person can never fully rely on the promises of God. A doubtful person can never pray with full confidence that he's listening. A, full, a, a doubtful person has to always make a plan B just in case God doesn't come through. If I'm talking to anybody in here, maybe you're relating to this. A doubtful person always has to develop a backup plan because they don't believe God's really faithful. And what we do is we end up with a bunch of church-going Christians not doing anything for God because they have developed an insurance plan just in case he doesn't come through. Does your faith have an insurance plan? Because if it does... It's actually the opposite of the definition of faith. And if I can tell you, God is not someone who is yes and no or flippant and changing and wavering and unfaithful. Our God is faithful. And I don't want to make this more complicated than it needs to be. I don't want to come up with a fancy way to say it other than he is faithful. I think in 2023, we actually need to get more simplistic about our faith with God. And just remember, he is faithful. He's able to hear your prayers. He's faithful to see you come back. He's faithful. And the verse that we're going to rest on today, that we've been resting on, is in verse 20. When Paul says, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Yes and amen is a phrase that is a confirmation from God. The word amen translated is like, it, it means I agree with you or I confirm what you're saying. So it's essentially a confirmation to the confirmation. God is saying, you don't have to have any reservations for your faith. I affirm that I affirm. Yes and amen. You can trust me because I'm trustworthy. I want to illustrate it like this. Again, I don't want to brag on my woodworking skills, but I will a little bit. If I can have my guys bring out this last project, I wanted to show y'all. And this last project was actually something I made for our dining room table. We needed somewhere to sit, so I made this wooden bench. And, uh, yeah, thank y'all. This, this is great. Thank y'all. And, yeah, this wooden bench, 
Uh, it took me a few days to make it. And I want us, for the next few minutes, to imagine with me that this bench represents our faith. Okay, this is the faith bench right here. And it's being held together, like literally by wood glue and some nails and stuff, but it's being held together for the illustration's sake with the promises of God. Okay? And we can do a few things, but this is what I think many times we do in our walk with Jesus when it comes to trusting in his promises. This is what I think we do. Sometimes we, we, we know that a bench is made to be sit upon, but sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, God, I'm kind of nervous. I'm kind of nervous about going all in and believing in your promises. I'm kind of nervous about resting just in you. So here's what we'll do. We'll say, I'm going to come to church every once in a while. I'm going to put my trust in the promises of God. And uh, all right, here we go. I'm really going to use this bench. <laughs> I'm trusting in you, God. I'm trusting you with, let's just say, uh, my finances, God. I'm trusting you with my finances. Oh, but to give to Kingdom Builders offering? Never mind. All right, God, I'm trusting you with my kids. I'm trusting you with my kids right now. Oh, but praying for them and with them? Uh, never mind. I'm a youth pastor, so here we go. I'm trusting you with my kids. But bringing them on Wednesdays? Ah, I got my own schedule. What about this one? Okay, God, I'm trusting you with my agenda, my time, my schedule. All right. Joining a small group? Uh, okay, let's just do that one then. I'm a busy person. And this is what we do all the time with our faith in God, where we say, I'm going to use this. I'm going I'm to trust in his promises, but then we just do that. Or we say we're going to level up our faith, and we say we're going to trust in the promises of God. And we say, but this is what we do. We don't fully commit. We do this. All right, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to fully believe that you're good and that you want what's best for me. And okay. Okay, okay, okay. <sighs> Tithes and offerings. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Um, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with my security and my safety, and I'm going to make sure that I know that you're my provider and my protector. But you know what? I got an alert or I saw on the news that someone's breaking into cars. <sighs> I, can't be, I can't be that faithful. God, I'm going to trust you with my health. I'm going to trust you with my well-being and know that you're my healer. But, God, you know what? As soon as I get a bad report from the doctor, I got to run. And this is what we do. We'll sit on the bench, sir, but we'll sit on the closest to the edge because we know that's where we can get up the quickest to make a quick getaway just in case he doesn't come through. But when others say, I can't, God says, I will. And what we need to do is ask ourselves, have I built an insurance policy for the faith of the promises of God that I have. Am I able to rest in God? So many times what we'll do in our modern church world is instead of using this to eat at the dinner table, we'll try to do this in our own strength. No wonder you feel so tired all the time. 
No wonder you feel so tired chasing after God all the time because instead of resting in his promises, you've been doing this and standing on your own two feet and relying on your own strength. No wonder we get so worn out and so many people say, I'm burnt out. You could have just rested in him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to understand that God in him is yes and amen. His promises are faithful to to be held up upon. So what I'm going to do, what we need to do, even though it's scary, because what happens if your health starts to deteriorate? What happens if you start to get diseases? What if your home gets foreclosed on? What if the worst possible scenario starts to happen? Trust me, I know how difficult it may seem. I know how dark it may feel. God, where are you? My kids are just going crazy. You promised that you would bring my prodigal son or daughter back home. Where are you? But the answer is not to make a quick getaway. The answer is actually to scoot in further because the place where we need to be is fully resting on him. And we know that when others say, I can't, he says, I will. And trusting in his promises that he says, I will be there for you. When he says in Psalms that when the raging waters come against you, stand firm and do not be afraid. I will be there with you. When your enemies surround you, I will deliver you. I'm going to stand on your promises, God. And I'm going to have faith in you, in your word, in your promises. And I think we've taken this word faith and twisted it so much in our culture. God's promises and his faithfulness is not so that we have an invitation to sin. So that we can get closer to him and rely on him more. He's not just going to, his promises are not, God, whatever I want, you're going to fulfill right now. His promises are in the Bible. Have you read it recently to know that? So I'm going to trust when he says that even when we are faithless, he is faithful, like it says in 2 Timothy. Even when I am faithless, God, you are faithful to bring me home and to know that I am yours. God, I'm going to trust in your promises. And I'm going to say yes and amen and have a childlike faith in the promises of God. And you know that song we just sang that we're going to rest in his promises? The only time you can get true rest is when you take your feet off the ground itself and you just fully trust that he can hold you. Whose promises have you been laying on today? Whose promises have you been depending on? And I think it's time for the church, us as a body of believers, not to depend on people, not to depend on faith, or not to put our faith uh, for eternal faith into organizations or in people or in systems, but to have our faith in Christ alone. And I think the tragedy of it all is that whenever we think of the faithfulness of God, especially us seasoned veteran Christians, whenever we think, okay, God, I'm going to remember your faithfulness, we usually typically remember a time when God was faithful in the good times or when he delivered us out of a bad time. But the truth is that God our God is faithful in the good times and in the bad times. 
He's faithful in the horrible times and in the miserable times. He's faithful in the hopeless times and in the dark times. Our God has been faithful 10 years ago. He'll be faithful 10 years from now. Our God is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. Our God does not change. And he's faithful. I want that kind of childlike faith to not have an insurance policy on what God has for me or to say, God, you have to prove yourself to me that I should put my faith in you. But I want that kind of faith that says, God, you are so good. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what comes against me. I don't care if there's tension. I don't care if there's betrayal. I don't care if there's fear. I trust in you.